Hey, bubblers, and welcome to My Streaming Bubble. It's the podcast where I talk about the shows that I live with the people I tolerate. I'm your bubbly host, Jen, and today Eric and I will be talking about the magnificent, the miraculous, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, season one. Hey, Eric. Hey, how's it going, Jen? Oh, not so bad. Yeah. In the pod basement. It's a very comfortable. Good. I'm glad it's so cozy and inviting. All right, so we're going to be talking about, so this is the, your spoiler spoiler warning for the first season of Amazon's original series, The Marvelous Miss Maisel, starring Rachel Brosnahan, Alex Borstein, Michael Zegan, Marion Hinkle, Tony Shalhoub, uh, Matilda, oh Lord, I did not pre-read her last name. I'm so sorry, but she plays Zelda. And there's a whole bunch of other folks, uh, <laughs> Kevin Pollack and um, Wallace, what was his name now? The Wallace Shawn appears. And yeah, so. Jane, Jane Lynch. Yeah. Oh, is- Jane Lynch. I love her two pieces. Oh. We will. So yeah, it's um, on Amazon, Amazon original series. And it was written, directed, and created by those darn Paladinos. So we're going to get right into it. Mm-hmm. And for those that, maybe aren't aware and still listening. Uh, The plot is a woman, basically, who thought she had it all, everything she ever wanted or needed, finds herself suddenly separated and wondering, what's next? (laughs) Comedy! Comedy! Yeah! So, all right. So, Eric, this was your suggestion. Mm -hmm. And why the marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Well, you know the shows that you and I usually talk about are more science fiction-y and, you know more fictional than this, than, a, than a show like this, you know? This show just radiated with me in weird ways. I'm not sure. I, 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 I think I heard about it through the grapevines, you know, maybe like through some from a friend of a friend of a friend kind of thing, and I was just, and I saw it on Amazon. I was like, oh, I feel like I've heard of this. I'll check it out. I had no idea what this show was even about. I knew nothing about it. I just knew that it was about a woman who was a comedian. That was the only thing I knew. And I was hooked off the first episode um, just because the writing was so damn good. And I didn't even know going into this who was in this show. Now, granted, most of these actors I've actually never heard of until I started seeing it. I watched this show. But once I saw Tony Shalhoub in the opening scene at the wedding, mm-hmm. I, I I loved Monk. So I was like, okay, this has got to be good if he put his name on this project. And he's playing, instantly I knew I was playing, he was playing a Jewish father. And I was like, all right, I can get behind this. So, yeah, I mean, it's a. the more I watched it, the more I just got in, kind of like emotionally invested in the show. Uh, the characters, I believe, on almost every aspect could be completely relatable to somebody. Mm-hmm. The writing is probably some of the best that I've seen in a long time. Um, and it's, it's fucking funny. Oh, my God, it's just so fucking funny. My wife then watched it with me after I watched the season by myself, and she has gone off and watched the show by herself several times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's just a show that, you know, it's completely different from a lot of other things that I watch, and it's, yeah, it's seriously just one of the best shows I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. So I remember when the show kind of first came out, because i big Gilmore Girls fan. As you can see, I've got the DVDs of the seasons that matter. The people that had recommended it to me, they were just like, oh, you should watch it. You'd probably really like it. It's created and written by the Paladinos. Mm-hmm. But I just, 
for whatever reason, I never got around to it. I was like, ah, it's probably something I'll end up watching at some point. So I managed to stay away from spoilers. So that was pretty surprising. And so when I sat down to watch it for the pod, (laughs) I was like, okay, so it's 1950s Jewish Gilmore Girls. So we're following a bunch of rich white people and their problems again. (laughs) Yes, and I've been working on my East Coast slash Jewish accent, so I'll be slipping in and out of that today, and my apologies if you're offended, but I've worked really hard on this, on this accent since the nanny. (laughs) Why, thank you. Mm -hmm. So yeah, with this show, it was, that's all I could see at first, and there were a lot of parallels to some of her characters or some of their quirks or whatever uh, from Gilmore Girls, so... Mm -hmm. It was, so that's, you know, that's fine, but I've, I don't know. So it w- it took me a minute to actually kind of get into it. Cause that's oh, all I could kind of see for, for a bit. Okay, sure. But I do like the characters and you know, yeah, it's not something I typically watch. I usually have like one sappy show that mm-hmm. I watch, you know, for the longest time it was Gilmore Girls mm-hmm. and then it was Parenthood. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I really have a sappy show right now. I figured mm-hmm. Maisel was going to be it at some point. Yeah. So it's. And not that it's like super sappy or anything like that, but a softer show, not something, not a black mirror or something that's just going to fuck with me psychologically. (laughs) So this show, I was like, all right, you know, it's okay. I'm sorry. It's just, it, for me, it's just okay. It's, it's safe. It's funny. I do think the characters are pretty well written, especially Abe and Rose, Mm -hmm. um, Midge's parents. Mm -hmm. Abe's probably my favorite character. I, adore him he is tony shalhoub does such a great job with that character and the delivery and his like demeanor and attitude i loved it i loved it tony shalhoub is just one of those actors in general you know he he has such a huge resume under his name yet i don't feel like he gets the full recognition that i think he truly deserves tony shalhoub is like kind of like a diamond in a rough to me He's just so good at his at what he does. He can portray so many different types of characters, and oh, god damn, the guy is just so fucking funny. He is so he's so good. See, and I never got into Monk because Tony Shalhoub to me will always be yeah. his character from Wings. I think it was Antonio, and yeah. playing a very stereotypical like Italian type character. Yeah. He was a cab driver or whatever. But it was I'm not here to talk about that. But okay. so that's how I've always known him. And that's how I've always loved him. And I was happy for him that Monk had the success that it did, Mm -hmm. but I just, I didn't get into it. It, whatever, no big deal. No, that's fine. But yeah, so we've got a whole, aside from uh, Abe and Rose, Midge's parents, we also have Midge and Joel, um, Mr. And Mrs. Maisel. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got the wonderful Susie played by Alex Borstein, who I love her, but she reminded me a lot of Luke Danes from, Gilmore Girls. Okay, so uh, I'll just give you a heads up. Any Gilmore Girls references you're going to make today, and I'm told, you know, do all the ones you want. I've never seen Gilmore Girls. I actually looked at um, the Palandinos. Am I saying mm-hmm. that right? I, I looked at uh, the Palandinos uh, uh, filmography on IMDb, and I realized that Mrs. Maisel is the only thing that I have seen that mm-hmm. they've done. So I'm definitely actually interested in watching Gilmore Girls because yeah. if the style is the same or same-ish, yes. I love this style of comedy and this type and this also kind of 
type of drama shows. Mm -hmm. So I think I might actually give Gilmore Two Girls a try now. I think you'd probably like it. It's because it's very much still, you know, Maisel still has a lot of the fast talking, a lot of that fast dialogue, which Gilmore Girls was known for. Mm -hmm. Standard scripts for a show that was, you know, 42 minutes or whatever for Gilmore Girls was, I think, somewhere between like 30 to 50 pages. Uh Uh, Gilmore Girls was at least 80 almost all the time. So that's where the fast talking because they wanted to get in all the references. Uh, So, yeah, the Paladinos, that's kind of their style. That's kind of their niche. And I noticed a lot of that within Mrs. Maisel, that kind of more fast talking, Mm -hmm. which really works with that Jewish accent. I love it. I love it when they start going off. Uh, (laughs) But and then I even noticed like they have their own little pop culture references Mm -hmm. to that time period. So. I did appreciate that to an extent, but some of the stuff felt like they were just kind of reusing instead of more of being like an Easter egg or an homage to some of the Gilmore Girls stuff. Some of these references just felt lazy. Like recycled? Yeah. Okay. So in the opening episode, uh, Maisel, or I'm sorry, Midge talks about how she was a planner and she had planned all these things. And immediately I was like, Rory Gilmore was a planner. Uh, Let's see. There's a scene where... Uh, Susie goes off when Susie and Midge go and pick up Midge's kids. Susie takes the hand of Ethan and she goes off about why is his hand sticky. And then Maisel or Midge, God damn it, uh, is like, it was jelly. Luke has a rant in Gilmore Girls about why are little kids' hands always sticky? They're always sticky, even if they just wash them. And he refers to them as jam hands. So I'm like, this is good. I didn't getting this perspective and just, uh, Knowing that some of this material is, I don't know if I want to say homaged, but I also don't like using the word recycled too much because I feel like the writing was really well done. Mm-hmm. But from your point of view, having that uh, perspective from seeing more of their projects does kind of, it kind of puts a face on Hollywood mm-hmm. and, you know, filmmaking and being a writer. And you got to think that, you know, they're not the only people who do stuff like this. You yeah. have multiple big name projects, you know. They have to re- not really reference so much, but learn and learn from their previous projects and what worked, what didn't, and how can I incorporate this into mm-hmm. something new while making it seem fresh, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So, and that's I, kind of what I'm getting from this. Well, and I wondered, too, had I watched this series when it first came out, would I would I've had these same feelings? Would I have looked at it more as like, oh, fun Easter eggs or like, hey, that's like, you know, and enjoyed them more and not been so critical of them like I kind of was this time around. But, you know, Rose, uh, Midge's mom just reminded me of a Jewish Emily Gilmore, which is the grandmother figure, uh, Lorelai's mom in Gilmore Girls, because Lorelai's family's rich. And there, there were some other couple other things, but. My well, first take on it. Interesting, and I don't think in any way, shape, or form that may, you know, and I know you're not saying this, but it doesn't make like the marvelous Miss Maisel like a lazy show per se. No, it, it doesn't make it a bad show. It's just that it's a it's a show that's influenced from their previous projects, and you can't, uh, you know, in a way you got to respect that, and also in a way it's I see where you're coming from too. It's like, well, this is a fine joke. These are great. You know, these are funny things they're saying, but these are things these are things you've said before mm-hmm. just in a different way. Yeah. So. But it, I think, too, it shines a bit more light on the individuals of the Paladinos, incorporating sure. these little quirks and aspects. I mean, so my my take is that, you know, 
Amy or Daniel are one of them's planners. You know, they, they seem to incorporate that into some of the characters. And I've never seen Bunheads, which is the other show that they're I saw that on the filmography. I've never heard of it. No. So just from Gilmore Girls in here, some of these homages recycle, however you want to look at it. Yeah. They, yeah, they're more of, a, I think, a peek into who the Paladinos are. Okay. You know, maybe they've always felt kids have sticky jam hands. And you know what? They're not wrong. <laughs> Even once once they wash their hands, for some reason, they're still sticky. I don't know how that happens. I don't know if they're in there washing their hands with jam or jelly, but they're always sticky. Just wash your damn hands with soap and warm water yeah. for 20 seconds. I don't care. Oh Anyways. <laughs> I'm going to apologize right now to listeners. Um, I love her. <laughs> I think it's so funny. I grew up. I, I didn't grow up in a very in a, like a strict Jewish household or in a very very real Jewish household for that matter, but I grew up around a lot a large Jewish community. A large portion of people who I went to in middle school and high school were Jews, and I also spent a lot of time in my youth at the Jewish Community Center in Milwaukee. I even worked there at one point in time, oh. twice actually. No, I worked there twice. So I have. Your mother must have been so proud. My mother worked there too, actually. Oh. At the same time. <laughs> so she was. She was very yes. proud. <laughs> I, was a, I was a towel. At the main counter where like people would come in to use the community pool, I would uh, hand them towels. And I also worked in their daycare center for uh, an extra credit project I was working on in high school, which I aced. And the kids loved me. But I didn't like working with kids. I realized that. Sticky jam hands. Sticky jam hands. <laughs> um, but yeah. And if, I, if you hear me laughing, it's because I think Jen's accent is pretty spot on. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's get into our characters. So we got we got Midge and Joel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they seem like they've got it all. They're happy and in love. Joel wants trying to be a comedian. Yeah. Midge just kind of thinks it's their couple thing, which I thought was really adorable. Yeah, for sure. And I was like, that's a fun, different couple thing than, you know, bridge or book club. She's, she's taking notes, you know. Very supportive. You know, kind of uh, analyzing the crowds, you know, and reactions. He's getting on certain jokes. And you're right. It just seemed like it was such an innocent thing that they were doing until it wasn't, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Uh, Joel has a bad night. He bombs. And then that's when he decides to admit that, uh, He's been having an affair, and he's leaving her. Yeah, and it's too because, you know, in that moment, you know, there's two things that always stick out to me when they're in the bedroom arguing. Uh, I don't know if arguing is the right word, but when he comes clean with her, um, and like, in first off, in like the most asinine way ever, just because he had a bad night, mm-hmm. that's when he decides he's going to tell his wife he's having an affair. Good, he came clean, but he probably, yeah, probably should have been done in a different way. But what always sticks out to me is how, and this seems like it's such a time period thing, but it seemed like Midge was really kind of blaming herself for it by saying, I can do better, don't leave, you Mm -hmm. know, things like that. Nowadays, I mean, it's not like you're not going to have people on, you know, husbands, wives, boyfriends, or girlfriends who aren't going to probably feel the same way, but. I think nowadays we have grown as a society where it's more like, oh, well, you could get the fuck out then, mm-hmm. you know? But I feel like that was such 
a period thing where the where it seemed like the woman was the one who felt like she was the one to blame for her husband's actions. Well, and then we see it too later when she breaks the news to her parents. Like oh, immediately, I mean, all the blame is on her. Oh, Abe tells her, "Yeah, what did you do? You have to fix it. Put on put on his favorite dress, a nice yeah. lipstick, make yeah. yourself pretty, go back to him." And then there's Rose's constant denial through most of the season that, Mm -hmm. you know, they were truly split, you know, and you can't, I I could never help but feel bad for Rose, you know, because I can't imagine what it must be to, you know, have that sense of mentality of just not being able to accept the truth. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, they didn't tell her when when Joel came back and Midge said no. That is true. So that is their own fault. Had had they been honest with her, that would have given her that opportunity to kind of go through those grieving steps or whatever, exactly. or come to that, you know, exactly. reality. So exactly. like she was, re- she relied had her only sense of solace really was going to see her psychic, mm-hmm. you know, and I love the relationship between her and her psychic, but it was the only thing that really seemed to make her feel like everything was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and things weren't okay. No. You know, so, but no, I, I totally agree with you that had Rose been kept in the loop, I think things would have ended different, would have been differently. And as when you and I do our show on season two, when that eventually comes, I think you're going to get a, you're, you're going to see how basically all that has carried over into the new season of her Mm. being kind of like the black sheep. Uh, So it's very, uh, very interesting. (laughs) Fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I actually thought, I, I did like Joel. I thought he was a little, I think the actor is just a little cutie patootie, almost kind of like a young Jake Gyllenhaal or sure. Gyllenhaal, however it's actually pronounced. <laughs> so I thought, I thought he was adorable, but I don't, I also felt his character and where it went for season one was very predictable. Yeah. And I understand that this thing had to happen for Midge to be able to realize what she's capable of doing and kind of finding herself. But I also feel that it's just, it's so basic, you know, husband has an affair, steps out, realizes what he misses, tries to come back. Like it just, it was, but that's okay. You know, some shows, this show doesn't need gigantic twists and turns. It's, it's, it's a safe show in that sense where you kind of know, or have a feeling sense of where these characters are going. I actually like about Joel, Joel as a character, Joel's appearance. You know, is if we think back to the opening scene of the first episode, she talks about at her wedding how she would, when she went to college, she would meet a man and he would be six foot four and his name would be Dashiell or Stafford. And then we see a cut to him saying his name, Joel. Mm-hmm. And here's this guy who's probably like maybe five foot eight, five mm-hmm. foot nine. You know, yeah. 175 pounds, 80 pounds soaking wet. Yeah. <laughs> You know, kind of a scrawniest looking guy. So, and here's Miriam Maisel, just <laughs> drop dead, freaking gorgeous. You know, just I, I don't really know. She, I think, I think she's absolutely stunning. She's seriously stunning. But it's that nighttime routine. God, that's exhausting. Oh, also, another parallel, sorry, of Gilmore Girls, because yeah. we see a brief moment where. Emily and Lorelai are doing the exact same nighttime routine, not the getting up in the middle and doing the hair, but face creams and everything. And so, and then we see later that Rose has, she's been doing that like their whole fucking lives. Oh, that just makes me tired. But another, again, another 
mother-daughter similarities. Sure, of course. But uh, just kind of going back to what I was saying about Joel really quick is, mm-hmm. you know, I agree with you. I liked Joel. I actually did. At first, I didn't. And I'm sure everybody who watches the show for the first time in the first maybe two episodes, three even, you don't really have any sympathy for Joel. And really, you, you, you tend not to for what he did. And that carries on throughout every season. But over time, you actually learn that Joel has come to grips with that he made a mistake and that no matter what he does in no matter what he does and how he tries to make up for his mistakes he will he he learns and will eventually learn more as time goes on that his mistakes cost him the best thing ever but he is doing everything he can his power to at least make sure that he is a part of her life and i like the fact that he's owning up he owns up to what Mm -hmm. he did he doesn't he had that, he did, you know, even when he had that little outburst in the first episode, he didn't actually truly blame her, you know. He was just saying, you know, this isn't how I pictured my life. Mm-hmm. That's not blaming her. She's blaming herself more in that scene than anything, but still kind of an asshole thing to say. Oh, absolutely asshole thing to say. Yeah, but I think that was more of a, he was like kind of in the in the moment kind of thing, especially coming off a night of bombing on stage. Yeah. He really learned to... Uh, see the guy as just, you know, he's just a dude. He, he made a mistake. People make mistakes. And as long as you try to wrong your right, or you try to right your wrongs, sorry, not wrong your rights, <laughs> as long as you try to right your wrongs like he does, I think that there can be forgiveness there, even from the party that was wronged in the first place. Mm-hmm. And we see it throughout the series that she eventually, she does forgive him. I, the way that season one ended with Joel and him realizing that you know she's been doing the comedy thing and she's good and he takes that frustrations out on a heckler and beats it dude and who knew fucking joel could throw down like that holy shit but although her brother did say like (laughs) 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 so i was like all right you know joel can throw down that's kind of cool i guess but it was obviously you know displaced feelings and he was taking out his anger, frustrations, and all of that on this guy, realizing that that Midge is good. He says, like, she's good, and he's re- yeah, trying to... And he's re- on the street. Yeah, and he's trying to reconcile kind of, I think, all of everything of, you know, season one. Yeah. So with, with me not having seen the rest of the seasons, my hope is that this does not continue to be an issue, yeah. that Joel, and you've kind of given me a little hope that he comes around, he continues to try and does more of like the supportive thing, yeah. whether or not he is, he and Midge are end up together. Right. Um, Cause after I watched the first season, you know, and kind of going with that trope of like the cheating husband and then trying to circle back and find mm-hmm. redemption in, mm-hmm. in this character, mm-hmm. I was like, why couldn't it have just been maybe something else where she's like, Midge is like, I want to, you know, maybe I'll try comedy or just something else where then we see a happily married couple work through that instead of sure. this terrible thing that has to happen. I get but, it. And it probably could have. I mean, it could have, but something like that. I mean, it's not excusable, but there are real life couples out there who have, you know, cheated on their significant other, their spouse, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, have worked through it sometimes it takes couples counseling mm-hmm. you know you know just and sometimes Jay-Z and beyonce i, I mean come on i mean it, take, it could take years to earn someone's trust and seconds to break it mm-hmm. so 
you've got to have a real special relationship with somebody who you, whose trust and heart you have just broken in order for them to basically keep you around. Mm-hmm. And you'll see in the next two seasons how that has worked out for them and how that plays out for them. So there's a lot still to come there in their okay. relationship. Good. And I've seen a few screenshots from upcoming seasons where it looks like they're they're getting along at the very least so without me going too much into reading too far ahead or anything Mm -hmm. i'm hopeful that it kind of writes itself and it it isn't too i don't know i think it's pretty satisfying okay good 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 all right, and we'll uh, let's move on to Susie. Oh, oh, I love Susie. I love Alex Borstein. Oh, she's Borstein. she's so hilarious. This Susie is maybe my other favorite character yeah. aside from Abe. Uh, Abe seems more of a supporting character. Susie's definitely more of a main character. Yeah. Yeah. So as a main character, I think Susie's my favorite. I I love her brashness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just she's so she's so open. She's mm-hmm. just so out there. She's not afraid to speak her mind. Now, what I like most about Susie than anything in that, I, I noticed this, not this watch. I've watched this season. I think this is my third time watching this season. I think. Damn. I, I, I lose track of how many times I watch those shows. <laughs> um, once I like a show, I mean, I'm invested. Yeah. I watch it all the time. But anyways, it was my second watch through and I, uh, when I was uh, noticed that, you know, as hard and badass as Susie makes herself out to be with all the fuck this, fuck that, what the a little Jewish cliff. Cliff steel. A woman's like less, like no more than five feet tall either. So she is, she's super short, but she gives us this huge persona. This mm-hmm. huge, like she's just badass. But at the same time, Susie is just as vulnerable as anybody else in this show. She has, she's, you actually do. It's funny as she is. You really get emotionally invested in Susie. Because as the show progresses, you see how much she cares mm-hmm. and how much she really wants this for herself and for Miriam. And she doesn't just see Miriam as like her her way to make it out of the gaslight and make it big. She truly believes in Miriam, mm-hmm. truly believes her. And we see it constantly in the show, especially when Miriam is doubting herself. And that like episode and a half where they have that small fallout where they're fighting with each other. Mm-hmm. We see how much she really is, she really cares about Miriam and cares about what she's doing. And like when they're when when Susie cries, I think the only time we truly ever see Susie cry in this in this first uh, season is when they're at the stage deli together and she's just looking at her and like like this is gonna work, mm-hmm. you know. And, and Miriam's like, "Don't cry." She's like, "What's this shit on my face?" I, <laughs> you know? I love that. First scene is. Such a good actress. I mean, before this, the only thing I really knew her from was Lois Griffin from. Uh, oh, really? Yes, yeah, she is. So well, I, I know that, but that's <laughs> the only place you knew her. I, I, Not I, Mad I, TV. Uh, so I didn't really watch Mad TV. I, okay. So I looked at her filmography also, and she did do so, uh, uh, quite a few things actually that I was familiar with, but didn't really recognize her in. I guess. So yeah, voice of Lois Griffin. I didn't realize she was in Gilmore Girls. Um, she was in the movie Ted. Um, uh, Mad TV, and uh, those are about the only credits she has that I'm really familiar mm-hmm. with. So, yeah, yeah Gilmore, Mad TV first for me personally, and then uh, Gilmore Girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, she ended up playing a couple of reoccurring characters. So, oh, okay. yeah, I adore Susie. She's hilarious. She's brash. She's but she's still vulnerable, and we see a little bit of that. And I think I think you're right. I think she genuinely just wants this 
for Midge because she sees that Midge is funny. She says, yeah, I've been doing this a long time. There's only been like two people that yeah. I felt had it and you are one of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that is honest. That I is and she's not because she doesn't come across as a bullshitter. No. So you have no reason to doubt what she's saying when she drops these amazing truth bombs. Right, right. And of course, and you know, just like with all the other characters, you know, you're going to see some amazing progression with Susie's character in the next couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. And just the things that happens that happen with her are just absolutely, in my opinion, they're mind blowing. But yeah, I think she's um, of all the characters on the show. I actually do believe she's the most well-written. I don't know if I would say she is the most relatable character. A lot of people can definitely relate to her as far as her, you know, being being a foul-mouthed asshole. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know if a lot of people in the world can feel the emotional investment that Susie has with other people. Because we, I, think, I feel like we live in a society where, you know, we're very picky and choose. Well, actually, now that I'm saying this, maybe she, maybe she is very relatable in that sense. Because I feel like we live in a society now where we're picky and choosy about who we emotionally invest ourselves into. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I feel like Susie is that way, too. Um, so oh, maybe, yeah. maybe she is very relatable in that sense. But the one thing that always sticks out with me from this show, it was Susie. And even though you never see them on screen together in this first season, Susie's verbal relationship whenever she speaks with Rose on the phone is <laughs> yeah. always, always amazing to watch. Because Rose comes off as so intimidating. <laughs> Susie's just like... She forgets her own name. I loved that. That was hilarious. And then Rose just... Like, I think I was Blanche at one point. <laughs> <laughs> just completely mind-boggled at how she was yeah. able to get so fucking flustered. When we don't see them talking to each other over the phone on camera, like when Rose comes into Midge's bedroom to wake her up and mm-hmm. is like, the friend of yours called again. <laughs> doesn't know her own doesn't name. Doesn't know her own name. Get a new friend. <laughs> Get a new friend, yes. Oh, that was good. I love, that. I love the way those two play off of each other. Mm-hmm. I, I just think, I thought that was just some brilliant acting right there. Mm-hmm. And that is very uh, Luke Danes and Emily Gilmore. He always gets very nervous around her. Very mm-hmm. fine. Always found Emily to be intimidating as well. Right. And I like, I love how Midge and Susie, you know, we've got kind of that, uh, uh, opposites attract, you know, partnering the odd couple. Oh, you... Manhattan girl, mm-hmm. Just kind of a, a down, also the downtown kind of a little hard on her luck kind of a Schlub. kind of woman. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And like you said, opposites attract and those two definitely definitely attracted well with each other. Mm-hmm. And I love that she was the one to bail Midge out of jail. Yeah. You know? So, and that right there even shows you how much, what she saw in her is she was like, I I, I need to really meet this person, mm-hmm. you know, despite the fact that I've seen her bring briskets in. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Which is another thing going back to actually what we were talking about earlier, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. It, the whole cute couple thing between Midge and Joel, she went out of her way also to make sure he got good time slots. You mm-hmm. know, she would uh, bribe bounds with a brisket, mm-hmm. you know, and and latkes. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> it was just it just showed how much she loved Joel and just what she was do, willing to do to make sure he was happy. And in the end, at least at the end of their relationship, it seemed like it was just kind of on Joel's end. It was just kind of all a front just to get him. He had other intentions while not being fully honest with her about mm-hmm. those intentions. Had he been, I feel like Joel probably maybe wouldn't have cheated on her. Yeah. Know? So 
I think, yeah, if he had been more honest about, like, I really want it, like, I want to, like, do this, do this, mm-hmm. she would have been all in. All she ever wanted was to be a rich, happy housewife and yeah. be, you know, in love. She, you know, love was important to her. So it wasn't yeah. just a status thing. Yeah. And and to all, just to be there and live that role of that 19, late 50s, Upper West Side housewife. And living that life and throwing the parties, mm-hmm. knowing what uh, odors and all these other things. Um, so I think, yeah, she had he been more honest. But and again, it's like, why? Mm-hmm. They they show them so happy and in love. Mm-hmm. Is it just to play into the insecurities of men or yeah. was it just easy to go with kind of that plot line to drive the overall plot line? So, again, that's my only major criticism there i've got other criticisms elsewhere but (laughs) well two other characters to bring up really quick Mm -hmm. um and they're going to become a lot uh they're going to become more major characters in the next coming seasons you'll see uh moish and shirley mazel Mm -hmm. who i freaking love and i learned to love these two characters as the show goes on because Again, I grew, I, I didn't grow up in a traditional Jewish household with the traditional Jewish parents, but I knew a lot of Jewish people growing up. I knew a lot of Jewish families. I have maybe not seen them all, but I've seen a lot. <laughs> I, I've seen a lot. And <laughs> seen your fair share. Moish and Shirley, the way that those two actors portrayed their, I don't know, their, uh, uh, just, just the way they acted and, uh, I don't want to say it was stereotypical. I, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't like using the word stereotype all the time because sometimes I think that could be an ugly word. But the way that they portrayed maybe like this 1950s Jewish family mm-hmm. from New York, and I've known Jews from New York who are senior citizens who have that kind of accent, especially on Shirley's end. Oh my goodness gracious! Oh my goodness gracious! My grandmother's friends. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but that kind of loud, high-pitched, nasally voice, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, Moish coming in with, like, this, <laughs> you know, and just telling the stories, especially the war stories, oh, my goodness gracious. The 12, or what was it, the 13? The way that they came, 13 Jews! Yes, <laughs> wow. I have like that in my life. I really, really have. When I worked at the Jewish Community Center, there would be men who would exchange stories with each other, like you would hear them talk, and sometimes when they were just bored, they would talk to you. <laughs> and they'd be like, all right, guys. Here we go. <laughs> but I just thought they were just so, so well well done. Just the way they portrayed their characters and just how they gave off the impression that they, 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 were, they were this just wealthy, proud, and yet at the same time, God, there's words I want to say, but I feel like they're stereotypical and I don't want to use those words. <laughs> Just they really give off that Jewish persona of what you would think your parents would be like in the night when, when they were, mid, you know, a little over middle aged. Mm-hmm. I loved them. I loved them. Um, Shirley, especially, I think you learn to really love Shirley's character as the show moves on. Moish is kind of like the traditional, um, you know, I'll say it's stereotypical. You know, we made it, we, you know, like the bar mitzvah scene. Okay, yeah. just for a prime example. Okay, prime example. 
<laughs> the bar mitzvah scene is probably the best way I could explain I explain this. So Moish is so happy about how well the bar mitzvah went. Like over 200 uh, invitations went out. Over 200 uh, 200 people RSVP'd. Everybody showed up. Everything went according to plan. Then he sits on the bed next to Joel, counting all the money. And when he says we like free, free is good. And I hate to say it, but that is. It's stereotypical, but it's not a lie. Um, okay. You, you hear it a lot. I've heard it a lot. And uh, Moist reminded me a lot of one of my grandfather's friends. Okay. Yeah. Um, See, and I was kind of wondering throughout watching this about, like, the representation of Jewish people. And, you know, and it's it's set in the past. And I had, I felt like setting it in the past like that kind of made it easy to go with some of these some jokes or representations of these images of maybe more stereotypical kind of able to quote get away with some things there's um sidestepping the uh, jewish representation quick like the the kind of nerdy types in under uh, at the basement of the record store oh, yeah, sure, sure. and the way that they're able to kind of portray that type as nervous around girls mm-hmm. and Susie being able to make those jokes about like, Oh, they don't know how to act yeah. in, in the presence of a pretty girl. And yeah, yeah. I'm just like, okay. So there were certain parts where I just kind of questioned like, why is this set in the fifties? I mean, I know there are certain things, you know, women doing their whatever, mm-hmm. but Plot wise, I in some of the story and jokes, I kind of felt like it's easy to get away with not having a lot of black actors as a main cast, sure. um, not a lot of well fleshed out pe- characters of color, easy jokes and easy um, trying to be like, oh, the the superficial and the vanity of fifties and sixties mm-hmm. women, you know, mm-hmm. like Rose is concerned about the daughter, the her grandbaby's head, mm-hmm. so. I don't know. Some of that kind of didn't. So do you feel like the show in some ways was underrepresented, uh, underrepresented uh, uh, certain groups of people? Or, oh, yeah. Or, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. They've got, you've got one uh, black female character, Harriet, that works yep. at the makeup counter. One of the few black characters that has speaking lines and is reoccurring in the first season. True. And they say all these great things about her. Oh, she's so pretty. She's been in magazines, you know, and now she's going off to Paris to do modeling. And all I could think was like, what an easy way to write off a black character. Wait till you watch more of of the show. Okay. That's all I'll say. Because I often kind of wondered, not being Jewish at all, like how accurate are some of these portrayals? I get that these are characters and they're not going to be there's going to be some characterizations and some quote stereotypes with it. Like you, I don't like using stereotype a lot because it can be hurtful, but I also think, you know, they come from somewhere and it's not to say it's accurate for everyone, you know, but, um, so I was kind of curious. And so it's, it's nice to hear you say that based on your personal experience and the people you've known in your life, that these are accurate for the most part. You know what? I was struggling to come up with the right words and how mm-hmm. to explain this because I don't go out of my way to offend people. I don't want to offend you. Right. I don't want to offend any of the listeners, anything like that. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't want to cost you any subscribers or anything mm-hmm. like that. But speaking just from personal experience yeah. and how I, I grew up in a very, I, I didn't grow up in a wealthy neighborhood. I grew up in just like your standard suburb, like what we're in now. But I grew up with a lot of middle class and rich Jewish kids and Jewish families. 
and I really did see every almost every different side of you know of these of these kind of people and okay. how they lived. And some more religious than others. Mm -hmm. Some very very religious. Some more toady and some more uh, just you know always happy to put food on the table for a guest. Mm -hmm. You know. And I don't think that's a Jewish thing. It's, I mean, you see that in all different uh, aspects of cultures and, mm -hmm. you know, just different people from all over the place. You know, it's just that you're right. These, it's, I'm throwing air quotes up here to everyone. Stereotypes mm -hmm. have to come from somewhere. And a stereotype in that it does have to have some sort of accuracy behind it. But at the same time, stereotypes can also be so exaggerated right. that that's where things can really start to get mean and yes. hateful you yeah. know i mean i personally i don't think there's wrong with being a, a somewhat of a stereotype mm -hmm. okay but i mean it gets to a point where it's like okay now you're just making this particular group of people look look bad yeah you know and you're doing that on purpose yeah and but you didn't get any of that with this. You felt it was all fairly accurate-ish. Well, keep in mind, I, there, there are some aspects even going sure, on sure. from season one that I don't personally think that I would have understood. Like, I never really went to Temple. Mm -hmm. Okay. So a lot of the stuff about, like, the rabbis that they talk about throughout the series, yeah. I don't personally understand those references, but I have to imagine the Paladinos got that from somewhere. Yeah. So I, I wasn't offended by it. I just personally didn't understand. Sure. And I think I read that Amy Sherman at least is of Jewish descent. I don't know how, quote, Jewish she was raised. Right. So benefit of the doubt, assumed that she was raised, or, and Dan possibly, was some sort of Jewish influence, whether they were practicing and did the temple and all the, mm -hmm. you know, just like, like, I don't go to church, not yeah. a, never been a good, quote, Christian. Yeah. Maybe that makes me a good Christian. No, <laughs> but you know, I'm just kind of like, okay, so it's, I felt like it came from somewhere. Right. And it wasn't just these writers are making up and running with stereotypes, that there was right. some thought and care into how they wanted to represent this group of people. I get what you're saying. And I can see how, like, like in the example that I was just using from the, uh, um, the bar mitzvah scene, you know, with Moish, I can probably see how some people could find that maybe a little a little over the top, a little a little offensive, mm -hmm. when, especially when he, like I just quoted before, the, we like free, free is good, because there's that stereotype that Jews are cheap. Mm -hmm. I, I I don't really think that Jewish people are just as big as big of penny pinchers as anybody else. Right. For some reason, Jewish people get that rep. Mm -hmm. And I like to save money, I'm not going to lie, but I also like to spend money. Mm -hmm. I also like to treat people who I love, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I got awesome Harley stuff, DC stuff from you. Yeah. Some of it was gifted, some of it was paid for, and I'm happy to pay for it. Thank you for giving me a discount. I appreciate that. No, but, you know that's the only part of the show that I have seen because I wasn't personally offended by it. No, you know, and I know my mother wasn't, mm -hmm. and I, I'm sure anyone else who I know, like Adam. Adam is Jewish. Uh, Adam's probably actually more Jewish than I am. <laughs> uh, he loves the show, and he hasn't mentioned anything about yeah. him being offended by anything on the show. So. I, but I could see how that particular part could probably rub people the wrong way. Just because it does portray that type of cheap penny-pitching Jewish stereotype, sure. which I think is just so false on so many levels. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know me. My favorite things in life are free stuff. 
Anything that's free. Sure. My birthdays, you know, pre-COVID, we'd go around and I'd get all my birthday freebies from all the different places. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's a free dessert, girl. Fuck yeah. Oh my God. So, you, you know. Go to somewhere tell them it's your birthday and, not get, and just to get a free dessert, I have. Well, I see, and that's what makes me so nervous to do it. I'm like, oh no! Please don't ask me. Oh, now I have to go to Applebee's. Though. <laughs> <laughs> I like. I hope they don't. Last time I was in the 2016. And it oh, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. All right, so I guess that kind of will cover it for the. Rep- I was just curious because, again, not being Jewish and only seeing what movies and TV shows us. Yeah. I don't know how accurate or inaccurate some of these portrayals are. So it just, I was just a little curious as to what your take was. And you know what, when it comes to like free or discounted stuff, like my mom loved a good sale Mm -hmm. and she would always come home and it would always be about how much she saved. And oh my God. And the, even at like Christmas time, She'd be like, you'd open the gift. You're like, oh, wow, this is so great. Or, oh, it was on sale. And this is how much it was. And this is how much. Oh, my God. My brother and I. Don't don't tell me how much you saved. And I noticed my brother and I do that as well sometimes. Not necessarily with, like, the gift giving. Uh But we'll be like, I got it on sale. (laughs) I saved 40%. Uh, I love love my wife more than anything in the world. And I really do. And she, she, she loves saving money. She, oh my God. She, I wish she was more of a couponer to be honest though. She's not really a couponer, but she will, she'll jump on a sale. Mm -hmm. And sometimes she will come home from like, I don't know, going to the grocery store or something. And uh, then there'll be a bag from like, I don't know, Kohl's. Mm -hmm. Okay. That I will, that, you know, it's like, whatever. Okay. buying clothes, whatever you're doing. But then, like, it, with her clothes that she bought, there'll be, like, some one of those random items that Kohl's sells, you yep. know, like a little household knickknack or something. And she'll be like, I'll be like, what is this for? she would be like, well, it was half off. Well, what's it for? <laughs> <laughs> what's the purpose of this? <laughs> to look at it, or... <laughs> it's like, just because it's on sale doesn't mean you have to buy right. it. <laughs> it's but... like, I, you know, I'll, I'll tell Tim, like, oh, I saved, you know, blah, blah, blah on this. It's like, well, you could have saved all of that by not getting it. I just come up with some pretty cool shit, though, sometimes. Yeah. So I'll tell you, and we actually make a lot of use of the random things that pop up in the house. So, good. Yeah. Good. So. so as long as it's, yeah, as long as it's useful, then it's usually not an issue. But when it's frivolous shit, <laughs> motions vaguely around pod basements. <laughs> if you ever come to my house and you see my office, mm-hmm. you won't feel so bad about yeah. this. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Awesome. All right. So we touched a bit on uh, the in-laws, Moish and Shirley, mm-hmm. and I did enjoy those two. Yeah. I love them. Um, God, now the actor's name that played Moish is escaping me, but he is a delight. Oh, the great Kevin Pollock. Pollock, that's right. Kevin Dadoy. Pollock, that's right. And I said had, his name at the beginning of the episode. Know, Kevin Pollock, he was in so many things. Like mm-hmm. when he, he actually was in a lot of movies I grew up with. I didn't realize that um, until I did my little research. But he, I didn't realize he was in a good, few good men. Grumpy Old Men and Grumpier Old Men. Casino, which I love. Casino, End of Days with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. And The Usual Suspects also, mm-hmm. which is another great film. But Wayne's World 2. He was the guy at the where they had to file the paperwork and he didn't have an eye and so they kept saying I like I like how you came in with all these like big name, you know, 
you know, well-known oh, movies, oh, and I'm all like, Wayne's World 2! <laughs> yep. I want to watch that. <laughs> Let's see. I want to talk about you. So you had sent me a clip of Dustin Hoffman as Lenny Bruce yes. uh, from the movie Lenny. And I, I'm so glad you sent that because I didn't look hard, like deep enough, but I did not realize Lenny Bruce was an actual comedian. Yes. So I didn't realize it either until after I watched the show for the second time. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh at your rewatches. But it's okay. It's okay. Um, I love it. I love it. Because we're working with a fictional show here. All mm-hmm. these characters that we're meeting, for the most part, are fictional characters. And then here comes Lenny Bruce. And... Lenny Bruce, the persona put on by uh, that Luke Kirby, uh, how he portrayed Lenny Bruce, and from what everything I've read since then from other comedians and other and other people who've worked with Lenny Bruce and people who knew him, they a lot of people really admire Luke Kirby's portrayal of Lenny Bruce. You know, I loved the character of Lenny Bruce in the show, but now after now I know a little more about the man himself mm-hmm. and his career and what he stood for. Now, on a personal level, I just have a lot of respect for him. Lenny Bruce was very outgoing. He was a true believer in freedom of speech. He was arrested several times for it. So I watched this um, clip, sort of. It was like a six-minute clip. I'm not a big Joe Rogan fan. Don't get me wrong. I think Joe Rogan's kind of a weirdo. But (laughs) he has some interesting guests on his podcast. And uh, a couple years ago, he had Eddie Izzard, who I love. Mm -hmm. Eddie Izzard was a guest on his podcast. And they got into talking about... Lenny Bruce and Mrs. Maisel. So Eddie Izzard described Lenny Bruce in a way I've never heard actually any type of comedian or actor or anything like that uh, mentioned before. He he described Lenny Bruce as the Jesus Christ of comedy. Because hmm. even though Lenny Bruce died of an overdose, mm-hmm. he believed that Lenny Bruce more died for the right to people, for people to say what they want. And he and Eddie Izzard really admired him. In fact, Eddie Izzard even portrayed Lenny Bruce on a stage show of Lenny. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I didn't know that until I watched this the other day, and it was very interesting. And I think the Lenny Bruce that we're seeing on the show might be a little mild in comparison to what I to things that I've been learning about the man mm-hmm. himself. I understand kind of why maybe Amazon has to do that, but I'm really hoping with where we go from in the future with Mrs. Maisel after season three, that we start to see more of that maybe come out. I'm just also kind of worried. And uh, you know what? No, I will. I'm going to stop myself. I almost made a big spoiler. Oh, okay. Uh, but anyways, um, the clip I sent you. Yeah. So that is, I, I was actually going to send you the, I found, I found the actual audio too. Okay. Um, Dustin Hoffman definitely brings in more to like an acting, acting life, but it's a very strong, it's a very strong, act i mm-hmm. guess um do you want to describe it well he's so the clip for with with dustin hoffman he's on stage and he's and i only watched it just the one time today and i didn't get a chance to go find the the original so you'll have to send that to me sure. but he's he's up there just dropping slurs and it's left and, right. left and right and it wasn't i think the description was something about like taking the power away from certain words yeah, or so, from words so um i'm not going to obviously repeat any of the slurs i mean he had them all everything you could think of and what he was saying is do we have any bleeps in the crowd tonight mm-hmm. do we have any bleep, bleep, bleeps? i see some bleeps i see some bleeps i see some bleeps mm-hmm. you know just dropping slur after slur that just these terrible words but what it all came out to, and it really wasn't so, I mean, there, I guess it was the punchline, but it really wasn't a joke. 
is what it basically boiled down to is how did we as people take these particular slurs, these words, and give them so much power? Mm -hmm. And if you, and the whole purpose of that bit was that if we just take these words and just strip them of their power, then they will not, they won't hurt anybody anymore. You know, he mentioned in it that if we take the slur for black people and strip it of its power, then a little black boy won't be running, running from school, running, running home from school crying mm -hmm. because he was called that word, you know. And it's just Lenny Bruce for being a man who was so for the freedom of speech, also understood what freedom of speech could do mm -hmm. and how that could hurt and cause damage. Mm -hmm. So I think that he he didn't feel like anyone had the right to be censored, but he felt like people had the right to stand up against stand up against other people's words yeah. you know you know your word my words will i can battle you with words i can battle you with you know the truth and knowledge instead of your bigotry and hatred and mm -hmm. i i really admire that about the actual man himself mm -hmm. and luke kirby man let me tell you after watching some clips of lenny bruce over the last week and then watching mrs mail watching mrs mazel and seeing how he portrayed him spot on man spot on so, yeah, Luke Kirby, I think, did just an outstanding performance portraying this character who wasn't even really a main character. He's not really a main no. character in this show. He, we, we do see him throughout the next couple seasons, but he trickles in here. Mm -hmm. and there, you know, it's kind of like he's kind of like Midge's supporting piece, you know, on the side. That's her, it's that's her comedian friend. Yeah, he's almost his character almost seems to exist within Maisel just to kind of. Not necessarily like balance or counter, but to show that maybe reflection of where Midge is with her comedy. She's she's definitely, you know, for 1958, you know, Jewish woman, she is brash. She is vulgar. She is crude. You know, she talks about these things that, you know, comedians today obviously have no problems talking yeah. about, especially, especially female comedians. Of course. So I feel like that's maybe trying to show kind of where, at least in season one where I'm at, like, maybe this is a bit of that direction that Midge's comedy is going, is that more risque... You know, we gotta keep in mind that this is a work of fiction. Back in the 1950s, there really weren't any women out there that were speaking this way publicly. You know, That we were, know of. That, well, I agree that we know of, maybe more underground, but none of that really came out into the mainstream. And... The thing is, is that, so this bothers me, but at the same time, I still like the guy. So, um, the late and great Norm MacDonald, mm -hmm. um, had very strong opinions about this show. He did not like it because it was not historically accurate. Really? Norm, Norm MacDonald was a very, despite how kind of bland and dry his comedy was, he was a fine appreciator. He had a he really appreciated comedy. Now I don't and think his history. comedy was dry or bland. Oh, you didn't think so? No, That's his delivery was... might have been his yeah. his tone and the way he spoke, but uh -huh. I didn't. His comedy wasn't bland, for everyone. Bland maybe, maybe not have been the right way to I don't think it but... is, and I think you need to apologize. You can't say I'm great sorry. Norm Macdonald and then call it bland. Okay, I am sorry. <laughs> I right. will accept your but, apology but on his ghost behalf. Anyways, <laughs> he was very critical about this show. And the main thing he criticized was how there were no female comics during this era that would ever speak this way. And 
the whole thing is, it's like, you know, I understand where you're going. You're looking at the, from a historical accuracy of this small group of individuals back then, you know, of comedians. But it's a work of fiction. And sometimes we can't always just take a work of fiction for what it actually is. You know, we just have to, well, well, I mean, that's it. We have to take it for what it is, but we can't go into the mindset thinking, Oh, were the, maybe, maybe there were people, there were women out there who were this outspoken for the time period. It would have been incredibly difficult for yeah. a woman to speak the way that she spoke. And God, I don't want to ruin anything for the next couple seasons for you, but to but to go on to live the type of lifestyle that she that she is about to go and about to be living, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have been accepted by men. It wouldn't have been accepted by mainstream my mainstream media. Um, it wouldn't have been accepted by hell, probably even a lot of women of the day too, depending on how tight your morals are, or uptight you are. Uptight, yeah. But the thing I love about this show is, even though it it is again a fictional show. I think it does show that women, that women have power and that, that women's words mean something, whether it's the 1950s, 1990s, 2020s. You know, it's it, it really does show that the power, uh, in my opinion, the power of the female voice. And I, 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 I rely more on a female's opinion sometimes than I do on my male counterparts because mm-hmm. I'd like getting that other perspective and hearing Midge's perspectives from the point of, I'll never uh, obviously fully understand it, you know, because I, I'm not a woman, but I love just hearing her side of the story and how being a one and how being a woman just makes her, you know, to other people, why they try to make her feel inferior. It's like that uh, toward one of the last couple episodes of the show where she's doing a show at the gaslight and she talks about, what about how women are hungry you know mm-hmm. it's a powerful line that she's delivering into a crowd that's mainly made up of half of half, half of women and um i respect that yeah i respect it and i really wish i hope actually maybe we can find out or maybe doing some research we can find out there were actually women out there maybe mrs measle is inspired by somebody that we're just not really truly aware of but Quite possibly i mean Kind of knowing the Paladinos, I would not be surprised if these characters were influenced by someone or someones that existed. A collection of maybe underground female comedians. Because we see Maisel's, uh, her first quote, stand-up, when she's all hammered and her life's falling apart, uh, that gets turned into a bootleg uh, record. That's what Joel hears. Yeah. And so... Who knows? There might be some underground bootleg comedy records from a time period. You always hear people say, you know, in every form of art, oh, you wouldn't be who you are if it wasn't for such and such. Like, we wouldn't be able to do this if this person had not done this, Mm -hmm. you know? You know, there's always somebody out there who breaks the mold and comes out and inspires sometimes generations Mm -hmm. of artists, you know, because of something that they did first. And I have to truly believe that, and I'm sure it wouldn't be hard to figure it out, but I have to believe that the character of Mrs. Maisel is based off of someone who, I mean, have you ever heard of Moms Maisley? No. All right, so Moms Maisley is an African-American uh, comedian. Mm-hmm. Um, she lived during this time period. 
And I don't know a lot about her personally or her comedy, but she did kind of break the mold for black women, you know, to come into this world that was mainly dominated by white men. Mm -hmm. And she was fucking funny. She was funny. She just told jokes and everything from the perspective of a black woman. I mean, if you go, I mean, if you listen to Moms Mainsley now, I, I don't honestly, I don't, I hope I'm pronouncing her last name right, so I, I may not be. Um, but if you listen to her now, um, like her, her jokes seem very tame. Mm -hmm. But at the time, you know, a lot of stuff she was saying was very, uh, um, very kind of raw. I guess would be the word I would mm -hmm. use. You know. Controversial and for its time. I suppose, yeah. But she got praise for it. Mm -hmm. And especially in the black community. And I don't know if Mrs. Maisel would be exactly inspired by her, per se. But maybe just that idea of that there was somebody out there who was kind of, you know, breaking the glass, you know, mm -hmm. shattering the glass ceiling, you know. Um, or it could have been something just as simple as, you know, maybe someone in Amy Sherman or Dan's uh, life was very Midge-esque. Sure. Maybe they could captivate a room like we saw uh, Midge do when she was taking break from gigs, you know, after oh, her and Susie. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So... And then maybe there was a conversation that arose out of that that was like, well, why don't you do this, you know, professionally? And maybe that person was like, are you kidding me? You know, in 1950s, 60s, whatever, a female comedian saying these things. So who knows where? And you know what? We'll do some Googling. We'll see where yeah. where possibly uh, the inspiration. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And actually, real quick, just to piggyback off one thing you said there. <laughs> is a lot of the times through this show, I mean, almost through almost once per episode, almost either Susie or Midge are asked, you know, is she a singer? Yes. You know? Yes. And that's just kind of like that ideal or that idea that uh, back in these days, men particularly, you know, just couldn't fathom the idea and the concept of a female, of a female uh, 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 comedian. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, female comedians are everywhere. I, and I'm going to drop an awesome name bomb right here real quick. If you've never heard of her, I recommend you check it out. Back in high school, I went to school with a girl named Laura Bites. Mm -hmm. Okay. She was in my class. I knew her for probably, oh, a few years even after high school. I hung out with her a couple times. Laura Bites is now one of the biggest up and coming names in comedy. Oh, okay. Yeah. She just actually performed at the Pfizer Forum down in Milwaukee not that long ago. She opened up for... Joe Rogan, but it was a homecoming <laughs> for her. Okay. Um, and she's making a huge name for herself. And I'm, you know, I don't talk to her anymore, obviously, but I'm very proud of her. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that she, for her, you know, she's she's had to overcome some barriers herself to get to where she is. But it, it just proves that this is no longer a man's game. You know, it, I mean, um, not I mean, so I, much I, anymore. But let's saying, yeah. let's be honest. Female comedians have had it hard, really, up until recently. You know, we saw so, a lot of female comedians come out in like the '90s, and it was like you know, Pinelli, Paul Pine Poundstone. Yeah. You know, and it's. Mm -hmm. But now we see, and and not to say anything against those women or anything, but now we see quote pretty comedians. You know, because for the longest time it was, well, you can't be pretty and talented funny, yeah. and funny. You know, you can be pretty and you can sing and you can be pretty and you can dance, but yeah. you can't be pretty and vulgar. So yeah. there's there's definitely been a shift. But I unfortunately, I, I think it has it's been more recent than um, 
but then not so much. A few weeks ago, Anastasia and I were down in Milwaukee, and when we and we went and saw Eliza. Um, Eliza, oh, I can never remember her last name. Anyway, she she is a great comedian. Um, and I guess she would be one of these quote unquote pre comedians. She's mm-hmm. a gorgeous woman, but oh man, she's just so she was so fucking funny though. Mm-hmm. No? Yeah, because um, they are. They're, women are I, funny. <laughs> I, believe, I believe now more than ever, we are at the point in our lives where you know, we, we all have something we want to say, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of people have been suppressed from saying what they want to say. But now with social media and with all the different movements that have gone on over the last decade or so, um, I feel like the newer generations and even our generation are finding it easier to find people who will listen and with the help of social media expand that to the world Mm -hmm. and saying so like people just in other parts of the country or in other countries saying i feel that way too Mm -hmm. yep but that can also go the extreme opposite way exactly yep yep and some are more dangerous than others (laughs) we always do but i also felt that kind of writing this you know, strong female character doing these things that were non-traditional for women in the fifties is is easy to do again. You know, it's like, could, and then it made me wonder, could this same story have been told in now times? And if so, how could it have changed to make it more challenging? Women are always going to face challenges for being women and trying to enter quote a non-traditional field you know like like comedy and what kind of what kind of catalyst would have needed to happen for you know uh for a midge in 2021 to take those steps um so it just it it kind of made me curious but it was again there was just points where i was like this it's kind of easy to make these points and to make a strong stand-up and i don't mean stand-up as in stand-up comedian but a character to standing up to these things and shining a light into you know the way women are supposed to be versus how we yep which actually segue to talk about another character on the show Sophie Lennon portrayed by Jane Lynch (laughs) oh yeah 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 her okay so I love Jane Lynch yep oh I love Jane Lynch and she she is she's a She's hilarious. She's amazing. I love her. And I loved her portrayal of uh, that Sophie character, who was kind of a, a combination of different female, bigger name female comedians of that time that relied on cert- certain shticks. So her right. advice to Midge about like, basically, be someone else. Don't let them see this. But then, oh my God, the way she's like, is the blue room ready? Is it not too bright? And then the way they just stand there while the butler looks. And then the way she sucks on the lemon. Yeah. And then Chess kind of looks down at Midge for eating the macaroni. I know. That's really <laughs> but Sophie Lynn, as a person, was a very different person. Oh, yeah. What she says to Midge, I mean, I guess... In a small roundabout way, I get why she said it because of the time period oh, that yes. we were in. Yep. Obviously, this wouldn't fly today, but I think it was a necessary line to have where she says, "People won't like you for yourself, and that men will only want to fuck, and that men will only want to fuck you." Uh, so she needs to become a thing. Mm-hmm. And very open to the idea of opening up for so- for Sophie Lennon, knowing she was going to bomb at these shit gigs mm-hmm. that Susie and. Uh, Harry Drake were gonna gonna book her on, and you know when they met each other for the first time, when Sophie was still in character, they had a 
had that hug moment, and you know, Midge was like, okay, I this is gonna be good for me. This is a good start for my career. Big name, I'll get bombed, but I'll, you know, whatever. It, it's a start. Yeah, exposure. And then, well, then she gets exposed to the real Sophie Lennon, and she's so turned off by this person. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if she went into this expecting for her to be the same character as she is on stage. I'm sure I, she was. Well, I, I mean, think she did. I think she did because Midge is also very naive to a certain extent. That is true, too. Midge gets more and more exposed to mm-hmm. how things really are, and you'll see that. But in this sense, I think this was a huge wake-up call to her to see that people aren't always as they appear to be. And Sophie Lennon is the biggest example of that in this series. The only person in this show who I feel like are truly like real, real people are Midge because she's coming into herself. Susie, because Susie, Susie and Lenny Bruce. <laughs> yes. I would completely agree with that. Yep. But Sophie is just such a phony. Mm-hmm. She is the biggest phony in the series. And oh, wait till you see her story as it goes on. Oh, good. We get more Jane Lynch. You get Jane Lynch in yes. every season. Yes! Every season you get to right, I'm hooked. Uh, wait till you see how it goes. It's crazy. Anyways, back, she was so turned off by this world that she lives in that she felt like the people, you know, maybe, who knows? The Gaslight crowd may not have been the same the same crowd that Sophie would normally perform. Right. Okay? But these people knew who Sophie Lennon was. Oh, yeah. And she felt like, I think it was her duty to expose this. And knowing that, well, maybe not subconsciously knowing, Mm -hmm. she she knew going into this that she had to have known there was going to be some sort of repercussions for her, for what she was about to say. But the thing about Midge, she gets in, she gets into the moment. Mm -hmm. Once she starts, she can't fucking shut up. Mm -hmm. And which is good and bad. Oh yeah. And in this case, we learned that is bad. Not, I mean, yes, for her, but also for her friend, for Susie. Yep. Because Harry Drake. Sophie Lennon's manager, who was completely open to working with Susie and giving Susie this opportunity to break out into the world of comedy and help groom her into a manager. Mm-hmm. You know, he was willing to do that. I mean, you saw those two, the way those two talked to Now, for at first, I kind of wondered if maybe Harry wasn't like Susie's dad or somehow related to each other. Uh, um okay. Just because of the way we first meet Harry and she, Susie kind of just barges into this like gentleman's club or whatever, the Friars Club, Club. and the way she just pushes herself in and Harry's like, oh, it's fine. I'm not surprised. So it was, there was just something about their dynamic initially that made me think that Harry's willing to give Susie, who is, I mean, really a nobody at this point in the comedy management world of of Maisel. They just know her as a booker, really, from from a club. And so willing to give her a shot, it's like, well, why? What was special about Susie in Harry's eyes? So that's why I was like, maybe, are they kind of playing off that? Maybe that's really like her dad or something, but they're keeping it like business. But then there was something later on in the, in the first season, I think after he got mad at her, after the whole, you're fucked and you're never going to get another gig in this town again. Yeah. But I mean, it wasn't necessarily that line, but there was, I wish I would have written it down, but there was something where I was like, okay, maybe not that, but maybe, but I'm, I'm curious as to what their connection is. Right. And, um, I'm not going to get a strong sense of that later on. I'll just let you know right now. But you're right. I mean, there ha- there is a history there. It's an untold history. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we'll get more. We'll, we'll learn more about that. But Midge going on stage and doing that bit about Sophie Lennon 
wasn't just hurting her rep, of course, like I was saying. It, it's hurting so it's hurting mm-hmm. Susie's. And of course it's hurting Sophie Lennon's as well. But she does alright. Yeah, um, she'll be fine, she'll I'm be sure. Fine. But the funny thing about it is that knows that Mitch is an in the in the moment kind of person. And that she gets unhinged and she will say whatever the hell is on her mind when she's on stage. And as much as that fucked over their chances of possibly breaking up, breaking big, Susie really wasn't mad about it. She was, I mean, she was upset. Yeah. But she didn't really blame Miriam for it. It was just the timing of it. It wasn't the night for it because Harry was there. That's exactly it. Because Susie thought it was still funny. She thought it was funny. And you're all in the next of the next episode after that happened, they're in the bar having a drink, laughing about yes. the whole thing. And they both and she just keeps saying, We're just totally fucked. Yeah. Fucked. And then there's that random person who walks up to her and is like, Hey, put that on your plate. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And he's like, Susie, you got five dollars? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I just love that little random place to that little random part of that sh- uh, that scene. But it's like that also shows that that resonated with people because people knew who Sophie Lennon was. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, I mean, there's a couple more seasons for you to catch up on, but you're obviously, this is not the end of Miss of Midge's, uh, right. breaking the comedy. That was and, a and actually, yeah, she kind of had to take. And I was happy that that next episode opened with Susie and Midge sharing that laugh, that yeah. moment of like, oh, we're so fucking boned. And, you know, Susie not getting mad and, at, at Midge about it. Right. Um, yeah. but just acknowledging that, yeah, they're, they're both, pretty fucked yeah. and then what i liked so yeah with, with so with sophie <laughs> it was a bit of a shock to see her so proper and, First and off, have you ever seen jane lynch in a role where she's like like just just uh, totally uptight uptown, no i don't think so richie person i don't with these butlers that is comedy in of itself it is because the it visual is. like i said of her standing there and waiting and for jeans because of who you're what of Yes. Actually, even there when she's got her uh, her her servant, I, I didn't write his name down, but she says it like she's like like she says something to Miriam like, "Do you know what money can buy?" And Miriam's like, "What?" And she says her she says her butler's name, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Yes, ma'am." And she's like, "Isn't that something?" Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what money can buy. And, <laughs> well, and the fact that she hasn't seen her kitchen in years, and I she know. thinks it's adorable that Midge is fascinated with kitchens. Kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> she I asked mean, her twice, why? Yeah. <laughs> I, but yes, more Jane Lynch. How out of touch she is, though. With the, oh, yes. She pretends to be this common person. Mm-hmm. And I'll admit, her bit is good. She obviously does her research. But in the end, if the average person caught wind of how Sophie Lennon actually was, her career would be over. Mm-hmm. It would be over, especially during that time period. So, but also just one last thing I want to throw about uh, the whole Sophie Lennon uh, and Miriam meeting at her house thing that I loved is uh, Sophie giving Miriam the fur coat. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the most random thing. And the butler is like, she's worn it twice. It's yeah. yours. And, and, then, and then after that, like, She's just like standing on the porch. It's, it, it looks like it's summer out, and she's wearing this huge fucking fur coat. I'm just like, oh, that looks dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. Is there are there any specific scenes or episodes that really kind of stood out to you, or that you just want to give a quick shout out? 
for me personally, I enjoyed the little montage of Midge honing her act, creating that tight 10 where she's dropping a joke. It doesn't get a reaction. So we cut to like the next night and she's added a bit more, some more pauses. And then the, the next, montage that yes. they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I remember that. I sure. used but that they, word. And then but they do that a couple times throughout the season because when she catches her mom and dad separating the beds. And then, uh, remember but, that? Well, yeah, that's part of that montage, is she's working on that bit. She's oh, owning that bit. Oh, that, okay, and, yeah, yeah. and maybe a couple others, but it, it's towards, it's after the, or no, obviously it's before the uh, Sophie Lennon thing. Oh, because, yeah, because she was going to go into that bit during the Sophie Lennon yes. part, right? And then she said she's going to give her parents a break for them. Because her mom yelled at her during... Um, yeah, at Temple. At Temple, yeah, right, right. which had to have been embarrassing even for Rose herself. That was being, actually right after the, the, yes. the Sophie Lennon, yeah. because she went up in with the with the coat on. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. then the mom was like, Well, you're probably not gonna tell me. Y'all lie to me, blah, blah, blah. And then right. she loses it. And then yeah. So it was before all of that when, you know, I think Harry had already agreed to give Midge a chance. Uh-huh. So she's honing that tight ten. Yeah, sure. And I just liked seeing that progression of her really learning all these she they went through all the technical stuff, which ended up not working because then Midge has a night where she bombs and now it's just like Joel, she's like, I don't want to do this anymore. That sucked. Yeah. That was a shitty feeling. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. so we actually see some of these things that were almost like almost learned as like a lesson, like on paper actually put into practice with her upstage uh, during this montage. And I thought that was great. I thought that was a lot of fun. And I thought that's probably more true to how comedians hone their bits versus being up there with cards written by Mr. Inconceivable. (laughs) So I, I, that I thought was fun. I thought I liked watching that and seeing that she's able to take the notes and, and read the, and read the room and make the changes that need to be made to get those laughs. Yeah, sure, sure. First, and, I, and I like that because it, it basically shows that she's passionate about it. Yes. And she's willing to keep trying and trying and trying until she feels like she is uh, maybe, I guess, perfected it. I don't know. She, you could never really perfect it, I guess. But until she feels comfortable yes. with the jokes that she's telling and she knows that she's getting a good rise out of the audience, you know. Mm-hmm. And we see her, you know, in the earlier episodes with her and Susie going around to the different clubs, you know, the shitty club with the ventriloquist, the club with the guy <laughs> who thought that he was stealing her act. So the ventriloquist one was hilarious. Oh. I kind of sat there at first and I was like, this is weird. But then when he's just like, oh, it'd be better, if, you know, the guy was alive. So to see Midge and Susie being the only two people in the crowd cracking up and being like, why is this funny? I don't know. Yeah. I felt that because i was like i this is fucking weird ventriloquists and dummies all just kind of creep me out to begin with but it was hysterical too because uh one the guy the guy himself if you look at it really from a comedy aspect and don't try to take it too seriously it's fucking funny it is, that is a funny scene it is uh, it's a little dark because his, 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 pu- his, uh, his puppet died and he makes some joke and i don't remember the joke was but the punchline was how big of her tick yeah and he's like, like oh god it, it was great i also love that part in that in that scene where susie's interacting with the guy who sits next to them at the table and she's like hey she's like, hey who, 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 who oh, yeah. is this guy he's like 
from my Montana or something, whatever. And she's like, oh, and what's his blood type? He's like, I don't know. He's like, well, you gave me one useless pack. I thought you could give me another. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just looked that that's Susie in a nutshell right there, though. And I think Susie is definitely one of the more better well-written characters. And maybe it's because she's got the funny lines and the F-bombs. But so for scenes and episodes, that's that's my tops, I think, was watching that. And of course, anytime okay. Maisel, uh, Midge is up there going on her rants, doing her bits that are just hitting, sure. you know, all the marks and everything. Those are obviously fun and funny to watch, but right. I, for some reason, just really, really appreciated that little montage. I think that's great, though. No, I really do, because that's a good episode that basically shows the progression, not just of her career, her new career, that she still doesn't even realize what's happening yet, mm -hmm. but it also shows the progression of her and Susie's relationship with each other. Mm -hmm. You know, um, they're at first they're you know they're they're not really calling each other friends yet, but you see a friendship blooming. Yes. starting with that episode, and I think I think that was a really good one that you just named there. For me, um, we were talking about it earlier, and the whole reason why I was asking about the actor's name is because, well, I can remember it, but for me, it was the episode Doink. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the episode Doink. Because it was a great episode to show that Miriam relied too much on too much on uh try to rely on other people to help her when she had to figure it out for herself mm -hmm. and this uh guest starred wallace sean but most people will know him as inconceivable yes from the princess bride and he just played this super duper washed up like i don't even know if i would call him a comedian but he tried to help mold comedians by giving them really stupid jokes you yeah. know for them to practice on stage and I, I just thought this was a really good learning episode for Miriam, that this is not something that you, this is something you have to learn for yourself. Mm -hmm. And this was a way for her to learn the hard way that she can't rely on other people's materials, you know, maybe advice, but she, he was definitely the type of guy who was out to make a quick buck and yeah. scam. Total con artist. And as soon as Susie realized that who she was working with, she was like, what the fuck you working with this guy for yep. you know but overall that was actually uh, i thought that was a really clever episode and i would agree also... oh i was just gonna say to yeah. add on to that i would agree with everything you just said because it definitely was a learning experience for midge that she had to go through she's supposed to be working with Susie, and she veered off of that now mm -hmm. we see what happens now when that happens and that she's a she's a bit more dependent on Susie than she at maybe up until that point, like sure. cared to have admitted, mm -hmm. but Susie is perfect for Midge and Midge is perfect for Susie. We got these two freshmen, you know, comedian management styles. Yeah. And I mean, Susie knows plenty, but they, they really need each other go, to go through this process. And I, I agree. I think that showed just that Midge can't just go out and put her trust into any old person. Right, exactly. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Stick to the rivers and lakes that you're used to. Name Susie. <laughs> and trust in Susie. And so I, I agree. I think that was a good a, a good episode for those two. Things actually happened in that episode, too. So that was also the episode where Miriam worked her first, ever first day at work, um, which was great. She was so proud that she got a job. Oh, my goodness. And I just always loved the scene. One of my favorite scenes in the entire show is when she breaks it to her parents Mom's Rose is just like beside herself. She can't believe that Mary got a job. And Abe's just like, Are you sure? Are you sure? 
Like, you, you need this. You, you want to show every day. You know what it means. You got a bank account? You <laughs> after, okay. After, after, after every answer she gets, he goes, okay. Okay, leaves the room, <laughs> pops back in. Then, oh, I just love it when at the end uh, he talks about the, like who's going to watch the kids and he talks about the babysitter that used to watch her. And he's, she, he's like, she's still alive. And he was, he was like, alive and kicking. And he's like, Happy well, she said alive and kicking, I think. Even <laughs> she wasn't sure. It was just like, happy um, I love that about Abe. And, and again, you know, Tony Shalhoub is just a gem, just a treasure in this. And I think, I, I think it was just him and his delivery and his portrayal of the Abe character mm-hmm. that really made that scene and makes all of his scenes. Like when she goes and tells him after, after Abe's been kicked out of his study and he's in the living room now, and she tells Abe, was it that she's thinking about getting back together with Joel, that it, wow. it might work? And the way he tries to climb over the books, it's just like, <laughs> no, you gotta be sure. Don't tell your mother unless you're sure. Holy shit, that was hilarious. Oh, he's such a, he's like, oh, he's just perfection in this show. I'm so glad he's casting it. I'm so glad he's Abe. And so we get more of him. And you know, and also just in this episode too, um, you know, aside from her first day at work and meeting her, uh, Herb Smith, that was his name. This is also when she starts going by a different name on stage. Yeah. And she can never nail down what she wants to be called until, like, a couple episodes later, she thinks Amanda Gleason is a great name, and everyone's like, that's a shit fucking name. Mm-hmm. You know? So we see that, that we, we see the beginning of that in this episode, too. Another thing that stood out with me in this episode, we haven't talked about them yet, so, uh, there's not a whole lot to say, but we'll just bring them up right now, because this is a great episode for them, was Archie and Imogene. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the friends of Joel and Midge. Now, granted, they, they did not play a huge role, they were more supporting characters, but what I liked about this, about them in this episode, is Joel and Archie are at the bar celebrating a great deal that they just brokered, you know, they're gonna make a lot of money, whatever. And Joel invites Archie and Imogene to go see Music Man with them, with him and Penny. Penny Pan. Penny Pan, who we talked about a lot. I don't care about Penny Pan. To interject, all I'll say about Penny Pan is the fucking nerve of her going down and yelling at oh, Midge. Oh my God. The audacity of the other woman, other person, to go in and confront the spouse, the original partner, the fucking balls. I, I fuck her. her. Oh my God. Midge was just playing it so right. She was, she was like, you're making this too easy for me to come back on you. Yeah. yeah. But I love how, you know, at first, you know, Archie's just trying to be a really good friend. Be, he, yeah. I think he knows deep down what he did, what, what Joel did was wrong, but he's trying to be, still be supportive of his best friend. You know, he's like, it's like, oh my God, you know, Imogen would love to go see Music Man. You know, we'll we'll, we'll drop we'll drop whatever plans we have to go with you and Penny. We love Penny. People love Penny. And then just like maybe about twenty to twenty five minutes later in the show, in the episode, as he's getting re- Joel and Penny are getting ready, he gets a phone call from uh, uh gets a phone call from Archie making up excuses as to why they can't go. And then we just see Imogene walking with her arms crossed, looking at her husband, because she is team Miriam all the oh, way. Yeah. All the way. That's her best fucking friend. And she just had this look of disgust on her face that Archie would even consider. I, I loved it, too, because Archie, you know, he's like, oh, we couldn't get a babysitter. And then Joel's like, well, you got a bunch of them. And he's like, oh, yeah. And Imogene is sick. And that's when we see Imogene come in yeah. in the back and then sit down in the background of the scene and I think she's got a glass of wine or a drink or something, but yeah, she's she's not sick. Right. She's obviously like, we're not fucking doing this. Right. I think so. Even up to this point, 
still with Penny, okay? Mm -hmm. And even before this point, we know that we see that Joel's regretted his decision. But I think it's right at the end of this episode when we see Joel and Penny sitting in the theater with each other with the two empty seats next to them where Joel truly comes to grips with what he did isn't just affecting his relationship with Miriam and her family. It's affecting his friendships. Yeah. The only other time after that that we see him and Penny together is when they go out to dinner with each other at the Chinese restaurant where the family goes out to eat to celebrate Abe's mm-hmm. new job at Bell Labs. And they're on the cab they're on the cab ride home, him and Penny. And, you know, she makes that stupid remark that I always hate here. And she's not the, it's not the first time I've heard people say it, but I always hate it, hate hearing it. I wonder if there really was a general sow, you know, it's just like, oh, oh come God. on. Did you, but you know what? That line was so perfect for her character. Though. Yeah. And that's the, really the last time we see those two together is in that cab ride. Um, and after that, Joel moves back in with his parents. Mm-hmm. And I think that really that night and that show were the moments where Joel realized he can't be with Penny anymore. If he wants to mend any relationship that he wants with Midge, her family, and his friends, he has, he, him and Penny have to, he has to end things with Penny. Yep. And he did the right thing. Yeah. He did, because, you're right, it was after that where she, after her and Joel slept together, where Penny went to the store and just berated mm-hmm. Miriam in front of all of her co-workers and the customers. In the stupidest way possible saying just setting herself up for the entire time but miriam was the bigger person and i will say i the only other thing about penny is when they went to dinner with moish and shirley and they're you know moish moish and shirley they're they're doing great they're they're playing nice they're telling the stories and then they're doing the parent thing and then and then penny and shirley go get up to go to the bathroom and moish just turns to joel and says no No. (laughs) and joel tries to pretend like he doesn't know what he's talking about and then shirley comes in and she's like no so I mean, we could, we could go on about, you know, the meddlingness of the parents because... And Charlie actually used that moment to prove a point when she was talking about how she doesn't even eat. She's not eating. Mm-hmm. And without she basically says without pro- saying, I'm going to prove it to you, she proves it to Joel by accidentally eating uh, Penny's dessert. I don't think it was an accident. I think she's like, oh, I'm she going to eat her, her dessert. Oh, yeah. She's like, I'm eating her dessert. Just to prove it. And then Penny was like, oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, I think, okay. I think that's how the scene went, I, I think. But well, either way. That's how it went, but uh, I saw this more as uh, Shirley trying to show, prove a point to Joel that she's not going to stop me from eating her food, mm. you know? Yeah. Because he's already not eating as it is. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But yeah, the disapproval of uh, from, uh, uh, from from his parents, too. Um, you know, and we don't get a lot, we didn't get a lot of Penny in this episode, and uh and that's fine and you know what spoiler you're not gonna get a lot more penny going forward thank god but, you know what? she was a necessary character she was because that's the route that the paladinos took was the affair right but otherwise we really could have we really didn't need any more penny like the scene in the department store was fine whatever but it it wasn't required I, I have more things to say about the actress that paid play penny but she had very few lines in the show so i really even my third time watching this season I've never truly gauged an opinion of yeah. the actress who plays her. It's just, such a minor role, so it, it's, it, it, it's just a necessary role. But it's my. I think the uh, the outburst scene at the show, at the store is the most that we ever the most dialogue she gets in yeah. the entire show. Yeah. So. When I do like it when um you know because Joel tells Midge that oh he has an apartment now so she goes to drop Ethan off oh, but it's but it's Penny's apartment. 
and she's like the Methodist version. <laughs> she's like, you live two blocks away. You got the me- you wanted trees instead of menorahs. <laughs> oh, what was that? She was like, what are you doing for dinner today? Or sorry, something smells good. What's for dinner today? And she's like, pot roast. Pot roast. Pot roast. She's like the Methodist version of brisket. Yes. <laughs> I loved it. I love that line too. Yeah, man. So I don't know. I just so I, I to me almost every episode really is a standout on its own because. I, I know you have a you're you have that comparison with Gilmore Girls, which I appreciate. Now it actually makes me want to watch Gilmore Girls so I can compare that to Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, no, 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 you literally have not ruined anything for me. I think it's great to get that perspective. You know, for me, this is the first time I've ever been exposed to the Palantino's work, and so far from what I have seen from what they could do, it's been it, it impresses me. It's mm-hmm. it's a type of it's not it, it 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 it's a light and dark comedy style that kind of blends together and it does it very evenly and I like that. It's you know it's comedy based on real life scenarios. Yeah. You know maybe not necessarily a woman going after comedy but a woman looking for a big change in her life and right. her normal everyday what she thought was fulfilling. So right, right. um we'll go ahead and start wrapping this up. Do you have any other stray observations? observations well um on this first season i guess not so much yeah it's um, probably since you're one thing actually there the is series. one there is one thing i actually do want to mention that i thought was kind of cool i don't know if this is something the paladinos did with any of their other shows so you can uh, enlighten me if they do but have you noticed that at the end of every almost at the end of every episode there are a couple episodes not so much but during the credits the music that would play is usually a couple of generations ahead of its time so, uh, in one in part- one episode in particular, I wish I wrote it down, they actually played a David Bowie song at the end. Yes, I did notice that. So, I thought that was actually kind of neat how they used, you know, use music that came out, you know, you know, a couple generations later that uh, kind of summarized the episode a mm-hmm. little bit. So, I like that. I thought that was great. I think you're going to be very impressed with how Lenny Bruce's character is depicted in the later seasons. He does become... Mm, he 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 is he does become more reoccurring, mm-hmm. but he's still not in the main spotlight. Sure. So, uh, and I think that's fine because since this version, since Lenny Bruce was an actual person, mm-hmm. we don't necessarily need a whole hell of a lot. But I think it's that's interesting right. that you know, of all the comedians of that time, that's the one the Paladinos picked to portray right, on I, screen. I do have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Even though there were only a few, do you have a favorite Miriam and Lenny moment of this season? Oh, I I enjoyed almost all of their encounter. Well, yeah, all their encounters. Okay. You know, when he takes her to the one jazz club and she gets high and everything, and yeah. I don't know, that was so. That's actually my favorite moment between them in this first. Okay, season. I love it because it exposes Miriam more to you know just to other people and just you know it's. I, I don't know if it was her first time ever getting high. I'm guessing yes. it was. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, she was like, he makes the, the comments like, you didn't cough. And she's like, oh, was I supposed to? Like, yeah. like And then she hits it again and she's like, oh, gosh, I coughed. She's like, oh, no, like it was a bad thing. <laughs> her on stage as she was uh, doing her bit opening up for the band. And then she like walks off stage because she has the munchies so bad and starts eating pretzels. And le- right there next to Lenny, he's like, what are introduce the band and she's like oh yeah she runs up with a mouthful of pretzels and, and all i gotta them. say if you got cotton mouth and the munchies and you're eating pretzels there's no way you're announcing anybody no have water if you're eating pretzels mm-hmm. if you have the munchies. Jesus Christ. yeah that that is my favorite standout moment of the season between them i i think i have one for every season between mm-hmm. the two of them so you'll really like it 
I'm very glad that you were willing to give this show a shot. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I, I have to personally believe that it, that because of your experience with Gilmore Girls, maybe that's what kind of drew you to it a little bit. But I know you're very open-minded when it comes to television as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can be. I was willing to give this one a shot, but it's I, I feel like overall I, it's it's a fine show. I'm not in love with it. I'm not, I do like some of the, a lot of the characters. I oh, like wow. kind of, you know, like Susie, as I said, and Abe and kind of just learning a little bit more like about who yeah. Lenny Bruce is. And that, that was a real life person and he yeah. existed. Yeah. I like that. The things I like are that it explores again, a woman finding her independence through comedy and not something more traditionally feminine, right, so to right. speak. Um, I like that we got to explore different styles of comedy in this first season from yep. that dry, uh, deadpan delivery of the weird, creepy ventriloquist guy to the big name. You know, they go to the um, cabana and everything and they see, you know, these portrayals of like famous comedians. She's listening to the Red Fox record and everything. Oh so God, that's right. That's right. I, I appreciate I, I do love this show for that. Um, again, there's a lot of, well, I guess not a lot, but there were enough Gilmore girl comparisons for me where again, having only watching it for the first time now, it felt more lazy, so to speak, than it did as a cool Easter egg. Um, a couple other ones were like, they're one of the department store girls, they're outside and she's like, I smell snow. It's so magical. It brings hope. That's fucking Lorelai's gig for all six, seven, eight seasons. Lorelai knows when the snow is going to come. She will wake up her daughter to be like, do you smell that? The snow is coming. I great though that you recognize those things. I really do. I, I mean. I personally don't know if I would have been able to, even if I had watched Gilmore Girls, I don't know if I would have been able to really just kind of recognize those comparisons and just seeing uh, how the Paladinos took rewrote their that you know some of their old uh, old material and just gave it to new characters. Yeah. I, I I mean I don't know if I would have recognized that, but I love the fact that you do. <laughs> and I've also watched the Gilmore Girls series enough where a lot of these. Character, a lot of those characters and, and jokes and stuff are kind of ingrained. Mm-hmm. Um, the fortune teller, Rose's fortune teller. There's a we see her in one of the later seasons or episodes with her. I got a uh, Miss Patty vibes. Now Miss Patty is a side character from Gilmore Girls. Okay. Uh, where was my other note? Oh, when Midge happens upon the protest and she gets she's given the microphone and to go up there. And she's like, well, this is the first time learning about it. And, you know, why, you know, why are we so sheltered? We're not allowed to read the newspapers or whatever. And how they put the shoe ads in. Yep. Because her father said the shoe ads are her favorite part See, of See, but the, here's the thing, though. It's not just what she was saying. There was a point where she made the protest about her. And that is a very Lorelai Gilmore thing to do. Lorelai has the magical ability to take everyone else's problems and make it focused on her. And granted, it wasn't a major scene in Maisel. And that was really kind of one of the only times she took someone else's thing and made it about her. But as soon as she did it, I was like, fucking Jewish Lorelai right here talking about her problems that no, her affluent problems no one cares about. She's always going to be safe. She's going to have, she's fine. Well, now that you are. <laughs> the show. Let me ask, will the people, do you anticipate that the people are going to get a season two out of us? Because everything you just said there, oh my goodness, <laughs> you have to watch season two. Because oh, 
This is not the last time that she will make somebody else's shit about herself. In fact, uh, it, gets, it gets worse. <laughs> Amy, Dan, come on, stop it. So, you know how we, in our old Sabrina chats, we talk about Sabrina just never <laughs> learns her lesson? Yes. Miriam is the same way, and we will see this progress throughout the season. But also, it becomes a learning experience for her. Okay. Um, but... I think that I think you'll, re- you'll if you stick with the show you'll really you'll really appreciate where it's going. I'm sure you'll find more comparisons to Gilmore Girls. Oh, I'm sure. Well, I'm I, sure you will. There's but, uh, the actor that plays like the other co-manager of the Gaslight in the second half of the first season. Uh, he is a re- he was he has passed away. He was a reoccurring character oh, okay. throughout. Yep, oh, throughout okay. Gilmore Girls, okay. he, his character was Bootsy. Wait, are you talking about that? No, or, no. Or the actual owner who was in that one no, episode. No, no. The other like co-manager. So when the owner owner shows up and demotes Susie yeah, to door, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, that's not Baz. No, I know that's not Baz. That's, no, because first I asked who is Baz. You said no, and then I was thinking that other guy who came and told Susie, "Don't put this woman on my stage." Basically, the big fat guy. The big, yeah, the big dude. No. The guy that always is all is also there. He's like a co-manager. Him and one of the other wait staff were bickering about who has to clean what, and <laughs> he's. I don't know. He's in more than one episode. He's in more than one scene. Holy fuck. He, Come on, Eric. Wow. Holy. F- okay. But either way, he was he was a reoccurring character okay. on the Gilmore Girls. Uh, I saw that. Oh, shit. Now I can't think of her name, but she played Emily Gilmore. She's joining the cast uh-huh. in season four. So I'm kind of wondering who else they're recruiting and how many more. Kilmore-esque jokes we're getting. Okay. But, I mean, we will, we'll finish the series. We'll continue. Because it is, it's enjoyable. I don't hate it. But I'm not head over heels in love with it. You're not going to sold on it yet. yet. All right. And that's understandable. Like I said, I think it's a safe show. It's a fine show. But it's Jewish Gilmore Girls. I think earlier in the episode, you mentioned about representation. There will be, you're going to find there's going to be a lot more representation later on in uh, the next season. And especially in season three. Um, what is it gonna take until season three? Okay, I'm sorry. You'll, I'm sorry. You'll, you'll see. You'll all right, see. all right. Um, Maybe also with the time period and everything I think too. So that's one thing we gotta consider is these. Yeah. Are, this is a different time, but, <laughs> but uh, it's not. Okay. Uh, you know. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, but yeah, uh, personally, you know, I mean, I love the show. You know, I really love the show. I'm really glad that you gave it a chance. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you were willing to do the episode with me today. And Absolutely. We'll definitely plan for the next couple of seasons. Uh, hopefully soon-ish. Yeah. I know you got full, full plate of shows on your plate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but until we come back for uh, season two of The Marvelous Miss Maisel, Eric, what's been streaming in your bubble lately? Anything you'd like to recommend uh, people watch? I'm always going to recommend this every single time I'm here. Doom Patrol season three has been outstanding so far. I'm still not caught up. I'm still a few episodes I behind. Ruin, I won't ruin it, but I will say this. I'm so excited for our season three stream because I think we're going to go on a we're, it's going to be one of our four-hour rants. Oh, it's God. definitely going to be. It's been so good, Jen. Um, let's see. I told you I just finished Band of Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, I just finished watching 30 Rock again. Um, Jeez, I feel like everything I've watched lately I've just recently finished, to yep. be honest with you. Uh, so streaming, just on a regular basis, as far as like new shows, Doom Patrol seems to be really the only one right now. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. 
don't know. Like, we're not, maybe, I don't have a whole lot of recommendations right now. Right, Lock and right. Key, the new season of Lock and Key is coming out, so I'm okay. really excited for that. All right. And, um, I did not watch, I have not seen the, the Lock I've, and I've Key. I've never read the comics, but if the comics are anything like the book, uh, like the show, I'd really be interested in them. So yeah, right. season one was really good. Um, okay. That's about it. What about, what about you? <laughs> You know, not not a lot. I did an episode for uh, it's a fandom thing where we talked about the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies. So I watched yeah. a bunch of those. But aside from that, in the marvelous Miss Maisel, I've been watching while well, trying to get caught up on Doom Patrol now. Yeah. And uh, a little bit of Letter Kenny because I I finished a rewatch of that, but Letter I started. Kenny is still on? Yeah. New episodes? Well. They're working on the ninth season, and and I think, well, and it's because they're so short, and they'll put out, uh, I think, a couple of seasons within a calendar year. Longer though, haven't they? They're like a full episode. They started off at like like ten minutes or fifteen minutes or less, and now they're like a half hour, aren't they? Like season one, I felt like season one had really short episodes. They like they were almost. I think they've all consistently been around like that twenty twenty five minute mark. Okay. But either way, okay. been doing that. I love that. So funny. So so many puns in the word play. But yeah, other than that, not a lot. The uh, the oldest has been working his way through the Marvel movies in no particular order, so it's been driving me nuts. Huh. I tried to get him to watch uh, The Winter Soldier the other week, because that's one of, one of the few ones we don't watch a lot when we rewatch our Marvel movies. Uh. And that little son of a bitch turned to me and said, sorry, Mom. Winter Soldier's been delayed due to COVID. <laughs> wow. So we just rewatched it the other day. It took like a week for that little shit to come around. Yeah, I've just seen the, seen the look they just gave Jen right now. Yeah. Like, oh my yeah, my, my kid's a sassy <laughs> motherfucker. Winter Soldier's like one of the best Marvel movies. You know what? We'll talk about that. We'll talk about it another, another time. time. So, but until then, everyone, I want to thank Eric for being here. Thank yes. you all for listening, my little bubblies. Okay. And. Keep streaming. Bye. Bye everyone. <laughs> and I'm I'm so sorry. <laughs> if you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to let me know by rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcast fix. Follow me on Twitter at Streaming Bubble. Find me on Facebook and Instagram as my streaming bubble. Have thoughts, suggestions, questions, or want to be tolerated? Email me at mystreamingbubble at gmail.com. If you want to show your love and support for this little old podcast in monetary form, search My Streaming Bubble over at buymeacoffee.com and buy me a cheese wedge. And if you want to take that love and support to the next level, head over to Redbubble where you can find and purchase My Streaming Bubble merch. All monetary support goes right back into this podcast from new recording equipment to night cheese. Thanks for your support and keep streaming. <laughs>